I love the hills. How many are in love with the hills? All right. Give yourselves a big hand. You can do better than that. Yeah. Well, that wasn't a big hand, but that's a hand nonetheless. How's everybody today? Oh, I'm so excited to be here, and uh, obviously I know you're missing your pastors. you got the best preacher and the best pastors in the entire world, and we've been communicating right up till service time, just kind of what's going on, and they're sending their love today, and uh, it is a big honor for me always to be here. And wow, there's some exciting things happening. How many are enjoying summers at the hills? Right, all right. So if you're interested in enrolling in Destiny Leadership Institute, It's an awesome online platform uh, that allows you to serve in the local church while you're studying academically online. Uh, I happen to know a little about it, and just trust me, it's really good. You're going to enjoy it. And uh, so I I think, if I'm not mistaken right now, Landon Galloway was... How how many enjoyed Landon last weekend? He's too smart for his own good, though, I'll tell you that. Landon was number five, actually. Uh, Over the years, I've had about, I think, maybe 14 young men that have traveled with me on the road, and 15's coming in uh, September, and so uh, Landon was number five, and so he came, uh, he came to us after earning a degree in history from, uh, I always start to say the University of Mississippi, and he about almost has a heart attack, it was Mississippi State, and so, uh, and uh, interned with us, and then went on to ORU, double mastered there, brilliant guy, he's in a PhD program right now with Midwestern. And so he leads the program. Every one of our faculty either have terminal degree. I don't know why they call it terminal degrees because that's okay. That's not necessary. But uh, (laughs) anyway, that means either doctoral level degrees or in doctoral programs. And so for a small institute, we have powerfully equipped, academically prepared. But they're also, all of our faculty are field practicing as well. So they're not just academics that are removed from the local church or local church ministry. And so you will not be disappointed um, if you're here and you're thinking about it. We have a special promotion called DLI in July, and uh, you can sign up right now. And I believe that promotion includes your first semester books are sent on the house. And so if you, anybody that goes to college knows that's a good deal. Can I get an amen for that? So make sure you get signed up and get started in the fall, and uh, you're going to have a blast with that. We've added actually some staff there. We have alumni services directors, and so there's all kinds of special cool things that are being worked on for those who have been through the program and are alumni. So uh, exciting stuff. And, I mean, I think we ought to just vicariously for a moment say uh, happy anniversary to John and Kristen. Amen. Amen. 25 years. Listen, in this culture, 25 years is like an eternity. And so uh, for a marriage, and they have done great. And next Sunday, there's going to be a day of celebration. I want to express my gratitude to all of you for your generosity and your giving. I do not know. I work with pastors all over the nation. I do not know a more generous, more committed, more practicing uh, generosity uh, people on the planet than John and Kristen Ragsdale. And so your fine, uh, your funds and the, the monies that you invest in their celebration is well spent and seed sown in good ground. And next Sunday, there's going to be an awesome celebration. And it's, there's, I think there's going to be like cake <laughs> or dessert or something. So after each service, 
next Sunday. Not only can you uh, shake their hand, hug their neck, but maybe get a piece of cake as well. So what's better than that? And so uh, it's going to be a great service. Don't forget it next Sunday. Well, all right, my wife sends her regards. She's actually to church in Poplar Bluff this morning, and so I'm missing her like crazy. I can barely breathe without her in the room, and so uh, you pray for me. I'm going to make it, but I'll hop on the plane uh, tonight, and we will be reunited about midnight. Awesome. And so I'm looking forward to that. We just actually returned from two weeks uh, out. We have a, a cabin up in the, in the Ozark Mountains on a beautiful creek, and that girl can fish. Let me tell you, she is... I don't like to take her because I get discouraged, you know. It's like, it's like I taught her, you know. And so when she catches a big one, I always remind her that, well, I, there was a, you could have fought him a little different and give him a little more play, you know. I tried to coach her, and she just blisses me. <laughs> but uh, so we just returned from two weeks away. You know, downtime is not wasted time. It's important time. And uh, you know when God in the creation, if you look at creation, there's a, a, a secret and a cue to understanding that. Because God created all this stuff, and he said, that's good. He said, that's good. He That's good. And he created this and that. And he, that's good. And then he set some time aside for rest, and he said, that's holy. So he called his work good, but his rest holy. And so uh, when people are away, particularly those who are in ministry and carrying the emotional and physical load of ministry, when they're away, you just have to be reminded that their work is good, but the rest is holy. And so uh, prayerfully, we, we all when come off our sabbaticals with uh, a fresh energy, and that kind of brings me to my su- subject today. So I have an interesting title for you today. I think you're going to love it. And uh, it's my title today is Summer Love. Summer Love. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to the book of John. And we're going to begin. I want you to stand as we read God's Word, if you would. And uh, we're going to read a couple of passages of Scripture. I'm obviously going to begin with the centerpiece of the Bible. Did you know it's literally the center verse in the entire Bible, uh, which is pretty cool. And uh, how's that for uh, mission and vision and, uh, and uh, mission sensitivity? Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. Uh, If there is a verse that could possibly summarize the core of Christianity, it's John 3.16. Can I get an amen? I don't have time to break it down for you, and it's really not my specific message today, but that verse could be divided into uh, such incredible truth and depth for God gave. He talks about the entire world. How many are glad today that the hills already looks like heaven? How many believe our churches all over America should already look like heaven? Amen. And God, that was God's idea from the very beginning. And so, okay, I, I'll chase a rabbit. I can't do that. First John, go with me over to First John. So we're camping in John's writings today. First John chapter 3. John, is the, as we know or, or best understand, was probably the last living apostle. He writes the Gospel of John toward the end of his life, uh, toward the end of the first century. So something like 60 years after the ascension. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had largely been written and circulated. Uh, But John, uh, we believe that he was residing in Ephesus, and we believe the Ephesian elders came to him and said, we want your story. And so under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he wrote a story that was very different from the other gospel writers. 
because the other gospel writers write a message that is largely Judaic in its uh, intent and in its, uh, its uh, context. Though there are certain nuances that are a bit different in those, they really are generally written to a, a general, generally the same audience. But John, on the other end, the uh, other side of the spectrum, the other side of the coin, writes a gospel that is very culturally relevant. So I want you to understand the magnitude. Here's this old apostle. Who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks? I mean, here's this old apostle who is a Jewish to the core that understands that uh, by the time he's writing his gospel that the church is largely Gentile. And these people don't understand who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, and they don't understand who David was, and frankly don't care. Uh, so he begins writing his gospel in a very cool way. In the beginning of his gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's all cool stuff if you have time to study it because he uses an early Greek philosophical term to uh, identify God. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Everybody say Logos. Logos. And I think I've told you before that word was first coined by a redneck philosopher. I'm pretty sure uh, he was redneck because his name was Hierocletus. How are you not going to be a redneck with a name like Hierocletus, right? And so, uh, so, and he first identified the Logos as the abstract impersonal force that causes all things to be. In other words, he said this stuff that happens that we can't explain is God. It's the force. Somebody say, let the force be with you. Okay, so the, it's the force. And then he says in the beginning, in the arche, actually in the Greek, it's not, has less to do with time and more to do with source. So from the source came the force. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with Elohim. He uses the covenantal name for God in the Old Testament. So John's a cool dude. He is writing as an old man. And so then we have to understand, and I'm going to let you be seated in a second. We're going to pray. But you have to understand the magnitude the cultural magnitude of what he's writing about and the context. This is toward the end of the first century. All the apostles are gone. And John's job is to give the, the, the revelation in a language that the Greek audience could understand. And so he essentially calls God two things. He calls him love and he calls him light. He calls God. And even in the context of his discussing with them, he essentially says, and this is the message that we have heard from him, and, and I'm distilling to you. In other words, a guy who'd seen it all, heard it all, been it all, experienced it all, there with the Ten Commandments, I mean, not the Ten Commandments, there with the Sermon on the Mount, there with the Beatitudes, there with the he- healing of the blinded eyes. You know what I'm saying? He had, he had a vast capacity to describe God in powerful theological realities, and he chose to describe God's essence as light and love. That's pretty amazing. He said, this is the message that matters, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then in another place, he said, God is love. Let's read it in uh, 1 John chapter number 3 and beginning with verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Let's look over to chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. And I'm just having you stand for a minute because I have to. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? 
You'll get to be seated in just a moment. One more passage, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. In what way, John? In this, he said, that God sent his Son, his only begotten Son, into the world that we might live through him. This cosmic, colossal rescue mission for a diseased populace that could not help themselves without remedy. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, which is a technical term from the Jewish precincts of of, uh, the Levitical priesthood, a propitiation for our sins. It's the covering, actually. In most cases, it's translated hilasteron in the Greek. It's, It's the idea that He became the covering of the mercy seat. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Somebody say summer love. love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your anointing. Thank you for the power of your truth and your word. And I pray that you will break open for us, Lord, and unpack this truth so that our lives are changed. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. High five somebody. Tell them, get ready for the word. Okay, now you're seated. This is a cheesy title, I know. Uh, It kind of sounds like a late-night infomercial for music from the 80s. Uh, But I don't know what to tell you. It's summer, and I want to talk about love. And they do seem to go together. I mean, summer and love. Did you know in our culture, we have a fascination with love and romance. Can I get an amen? Romance novels are a $1.4 billion industry, eclipsing all other forms of fiction, not by a little, but by a lot. Millions. And they're big summer sellers. It's not uncommon to see people heading to Barnes & Noble because they're on their way to the beach and they're going to get a novel to read. And often, particularly if they are a female persuasion, it's going to be a romance novel, a Harlequin romance or any of the romance writers. So I really believe, and I may be just in, in some sort of, you know, figment of my imagination, but I really believe this is going to be an interesting topic today because everybody wants to talk about love. Everybody wants to talk about love. Young, old, I'm listen, I, there's a lot of gray hair in my head, but I still like love. I just was on the phone last night with my wife saying, I love you, and I ain't no joke. I'm going to take you somewhere nice. <laughs> mm-hmm, we're going to do some fun things together. Some fun things together. Young, old, rich, poor, male, female, every race, culture, love. Everybody say love. Love. The carpenters back in the day, some of you don't even know who that is, but the carpenters back in the day had it right when they said, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. So we chase it, we pursue it, we turn rocks over to find it. How many lyrics of songs and poems have included it? Stuff like, I mean, you just pick the genre. I mean, honestly, some of you assume that country's my deal, but how about a little Motown? Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. We'll swim any ocean, swim any river. Yesterday, yesterday, the USA Today, a newspaper, had as its lead story, front page, an article entitled, The Future of Love. The Future of Love. 
and they, uh, they asked millennials about love. And it was pretty interesting. I have to say it was pretty much consistent probably with what would have been said in the generation before because there's that commonality. We seem to all have the same fixation on love and romance. Has anyone in this room ever been inspired by love? Any honest Christians in the room that you were swooped away or that you were swept away, whatever, how you want to say it? How many songwriters in this room have written directly or indirectly about the concept of love? I'm assuming you all are the only songwriters in the room because almost every songwriter has written about love. It is perhaps the most inspiring thing on the planet. And some skeptic once said that love is the triumph of imagination over intelligence. There's whole genres of music that are dedicated to love. Probably some of those 80s late night songs that you can buy on the 22 CD set might be included. And, and then we have a whole category of written communications, don't we, about love called love letters. I think it was George Bush Sr., the daddy that an entire book was published of letters that he wrote to his wife that were just love letters. It's pretty amazing. Poets conceive platitudes to describe it, and artists try to interpret it in paintings, prints, and sculptures. Philosophers contemplate it. Country artists sang about it. One of my favorite songs that John's brother Josh wrote was, ain't much left to love in you. I think mothers, perhaps better than anything on the earth, personified. So we label it and categorize it. There's the mother's love. There's puppy love. My first love. The love of my life. And I think that, I think we always talk about the love of my life to kind of help erase all those loves I had before you know, it's like, well, you are the love of my life amongst the many folks that I have loved in my life. Perhaps, hopefully not. My true love, so we categorize that as false, you know, as contrasted to false love. It's been lost, it's been found and discovered and stumbled onto by falling into it. Sometimes you can't live without it. Sometimes you can't hardly live with it. Thank you, dear. It's been called crazy, this crazy little thing called love, and even muskrat. So I want to propose something to you. How about, what do you say we have a summer romance to end all romances? What if we throw caution to the wind and go all in this summer? What if we fall head over heels in love this year with the creator of the universe? What if we have a summer fling with Jesus? Is it okay for me to say that? Summer love. How about giving your whole heart to the one who knows you best and still loves you? Isn't that pretty cool about God that he knows you so well and still likes you? Not just mention loves you. I mean, the fact is a lot of times the more we get to know people, the less we like them. If that wasn't true, half the marriages in America wouldn't be ending in divorce. But the amazing thing about God and the love of God is He knows you so well in and out. And He knows things nobody knows about you. He knows thoughts you have, David says, from afar. 
David says such knowledge is too high for me. In other words, David said, it blows my mind that God would know me so well and still use me. I have to concur with David. I know myself pretty well. And if I was God, I wouldn't use me. Can I get an amen for that? Anybody in the room ever felt disqualified only to realize that he loved you anyhow? I mean, what are you looking for? What more could you find in some sort of salacious, sensual love that you can't find more of, better of, in Jesus? I'm not suggesting if you're married that you can't have both. But I'm saying that we often discount the romance of the Creator in pursuit of the romance with somebody that's fixated on themselves. So maybe, maybe it's time to fall in love with the one that can only satisfy all your deepest longings. Maybe instead of expecting someone who's finite and mortal to be able to satisfy the longings in your soul that only God designed himself to be able to fill, maybe the real ticket to satisfaction, maybe the real ticket to, to being happy and, and finding contentment in your life is not in some sort of existential romantic relationship with someone. Perhaps it's with the romance with heaven. And why not start a summer affair with Jesus. You see, God's love and category of love has a category all of its own. And the author understood that that I'm reading from today in the brilliant way that he described God. But I want you to think about something from the text. And I have three things I want to help you understand about the love of God today. But I want you to think about it this way. It blew John's mind. By the end of his life, he says, Behold. This is a big word in the Greek, y'all. I mean, this is like, I don't know what it would be equivalent to today. It's like... Wow, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What kind of, somebody say, what kind of love is it? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you three kinds of love that God has loved us with. First of all, it's a love that will sacrifice itself without hesitation. Many of us know what it's like to fall in love with somebody whose world is only big enough for themselves. They are the center of everything as far as they're concerned. And we all know, perhaps maybe not all of us, but most of us know what it's like to say that we love someone who's really just using us to make themselves feel better about themselves. And when that's not possible anymore, then they look for someone else who can make them feel better about themselves. I need a better amen than that because that's true. And so maybe the easiest way for me to describe the love of God, a love that, that, that will sacrifice itself without hesitation, is to talk about a mother's love. I, a number of years ago, I was serving at a Bible college back in the day of 20 years or more ago. And uh, I, it was in the North Augusta, South Carolina area. And we lived in, a, in Thompson, Georgia. And I was in Augusta a lot. And uh, still have a little of that brogue in my voice, if you can't tell. Um, and there's a whole dialect from Augusta, Charleston. I remember the first time I was out there and, and this kid was out with his dad and we were going through a, uh, a Christmas decorated plantation type. It was a beautiful area that they had decorated with lights and all kinds of things. And so I'm standing there and, and the dialect, I wasn't familiar. Now, Arkansas has a pretty distinct, pretty distinct 
brogue, uh, but anyway, they really do. They really have it in Augusta. And so this kid was standing by his dad, and he the the tractor was pulling the hay trailer up for us to get on. I was there with a group of college students, and so we we're about to get on, and he was excited, and he said, "Hey, did he hit on that farm on that tractor?" It's like, what did he say? And there was one of the students interpreted said, hey, Dad, here comes that farmer on that tractor. So there's a whole language. And I was walking through Old Fort Augusta one day. And I'm one of those weird guys, perhaps a little romantic at heart and sentimental, certainly. And I like to walk through cemeteries sometimes. <laughs> really? I mean, does that sound weird to you? How many, anybody like to read markers in the room? Anybody? Some of you songwriters might try it. You know, you might have a bestseller. You just need to unlock it by walking through and seeing it. And so uh, I'm walking through Old Fort Augusta, and there's a small plot, a very old small plot. Now, Georgia was one of the original colonies, right? And so this is back in the 1700s. These stones came from And I noticed it was an entire family who had died during some sort of frontier outbreak of, I don't know what it was, it didn't say. But the entire family had died. And there was like a number of children, and then there was the father. And of course, not of course, I shouldn't say it that way, but the dad died first. And then a couple days later, there was a child. And a couple days later, another child. I can't imagine what that family was going through. A couple of days later, another child, until there was about five children that had been buried. And then there was mom's grave. And she was the last to die. And I thought, how fitting what a demonstration. I don't know the story. I didn't need to know any more of the story. But I could imagine it. What happened is that family got sick and that mother probably got sick with all of them. But she held on to care for each of them until they each had... I'm not sure who buried her, but she was the last to die. That's the kind of love that I'm describing that will sacrifice itself in a moment's notice without any hesitation. That's the kind of... Have you ever been loved like a love, with a love like that? You haven't and yet, and until you've been loved by Jesus because it's Him that came into this world. He came to die, you understand. He left the portals of glory and the very essence of Godhood, laid that aside for one purpose. He was on a mission to rescue you from the disease that was killing you that you could not rescue yourself from. He came into this world to die. What kind of, I can't wrap my mind around that kind of love. But that's the kind, there is no romantic love on this planet, ladies and gentlemen, that can compete with an intentional sacrifice of one's personal life for the intent and the better of another that they haven't even met. Sounds like God to me. One writer would try to interpret it this way when he said, while we were yet sinners... So the good news about that is it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen into sin. He already knew your days. He knew the number of your days, the Bible says, and the manner of your ways before there was ever a day to know. He knew your failures. He knew your personality. He gets you. He gets you and got you before the world began and still came and laid down his life for you. So I'm just fine to find somebody that gets me. Well, listen, God gets you. Let me save the chase for you. God gets you and still loves you. Somebody say summer love. The second kind of love that I see with God is it's a love without limits. It's a love without limits. John says that God is love. Paul says love never fails. Love is a divine virtue that you can't overdo. 
You can't love too much. It can hurt too much. But you can't really love too much. Never say about someone, well, I just love them too much. No, that means they hurt you a lot. But you can't overdo love. It's the one virtue that you can't. And how many know sometimes too much of a good thing can be a bad thing? Other virtues, there needs to be balance unless they become destructive. I mean, I like chili. But, and you may like jalapeno peppers, but how many know too much can become a bad thing in a while? It's like a lot of folks' romances, right? It's great when it begins. It just hurts a lot later. I mean, virtues are like that. Justice without mercy provides neither justice nor mercy. Justice out of balance without mercy provides neither. Faith without reason ultimately demonstrates the irrationality of both. Anybody ever, now listen, I'm a faith guy. That's my world. But anybody ever been around somebody, it's like everything was faith. It's like, I got the faith for that. It's like, well, we're just driving through the intersection. I mean, well, I got the faith for that. I get the, yes, it's like faith, faith this, faith that, faith that. After a while, it's like, I get it. You're believing God. I'm with you. But you know, it's like a little overboard, a little excessive. You know, that one believer, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, you demonstrate so much faith. You're not even fun to be around. Because you can't, you can't say, man, I got a headache today because it's like fire hose opens. And I'm not suggesting you that, you know, that a lot of faith is not a good thing, but faith without reason ultimately demonstrates the irrationality of both. Rigid temperance, listen, rigid temperance without grace produces legalism and pride. Everybody say, be flexible. You've got to be a little flexible. Courage without caution is reckless and foolish. So all these virtues need balance for you to experience their highest good, but not love. Love is the one divine virtue that you can't have too much of. Love is powerful, but not plentiful. There's a story that Jesus told that kind of demonstrates this in Luke chapter 15. It's a very familiar story, and we're not going to go there and read it. We don't have time to do that, but I'll just mention it, and you'll know. It's the story of the prodigal son. Now, the word prodigal simply means wasteful. So when we say the prodigal, prodigal doesn't mean lost. It means wasteful. As a matter of fact, Luke describes it that way. He doesn't call the son prodigal. He says he's, his living was prodigal. He was living excessively. He was living foolishly. He was... So you know the story. The son selfishly took his inheritance early, insulted the father, abandoned the father, betrayed the father. I can't even have, I don't even have the time to talk about the cultural milieu that that was told in and the, the incredible anger that would have been rising in the audience as Jesus told the story of this ungrateful son who betrayed his father, took his inheritance, insulted him, saying the equivalent of, I want my stuff now, I wish you were dead. Everybody in the audience would have wanted to tar and feather this kid. You know what I'm saying? Everyone in the audience would have known what the law's remedy was. Let's get a stone and end this crazy boy's life. Instead, Jesus tells a story about 
a father who did these things. A father who watched for the wayward son. A father who ran, which would have been the ultimate in embarrassment, for him to raise his gown and run would have been an absolute no-no in that culture. Yet Jesus wove it into the story. So him to look for a son who had had denied and dishonored and shamed the family and then ran toward that boy. And then, wow, he welcomed the son. And then he forgave the son. And then he restored the son. And then he celebrated that boy like he was a hero. Perhaps that's the best story in the Bible that demonstrates the love without limits that God has. So it's a love that's willing to sacrifice itself and go beyond any limit. How are you going to get a better deal in life? You're looking for somebody to hook up with this summer. You're looking for somebody to get infatuated. I don't mean immorally. I'm just saying looking for something to bring excitement to your life. Well, let me tell you how to excite your life. Is find a love like that. That where you are the, where you are not, you are not in this weird codependent symbiotic relationship, but rather you're in a healthy relationship where you are valued and celebrated and loved and known and transparent and intimate and all those incredibly powerful things. Sometimes we expect too much, ladies and gentlemen out of the natural when we should be defaulting to the reality of the spirit where we can find those satisfactions in our life. A love that knows no limits. Paul speaking about God the Father in Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, what shall we say to these? Some of us need to have a talk with some stuff in our life. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him give us all things? I'm going to tell you, I have one son. I have a lot of spiritual sons and I love them all, but I have one natural son. And I'm going to tell you what, if you needed to survive or my son survive, and you know I love you all, but I'm going to tell you, if it's you or him, you you better make things right with God because you're about to go on. You know what I'm saying? I would not give my son. I might give my life for you, but I would not give my son. I cannot do that. But can I tell you, that if I would not draw the line with my own son, where would I draw the line? In other words, if I was willing to give his life for you, what am I going to do? $100 is going to be where I'm Well, I did all this for you and I need, you need a $100 breakthrough, but you're on your own, kid. Would I do that? I would not do that. Because if I would not spare my own son, I wouldn't draw the line anywhere. Somebody say a love without limits. How many in this room would say, give me some of that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I need, worse than a book on romance and live fantasy through someone else's. No, what I need worse is a book that's not fantasy, a book that is real and a book. I need to have a summer love affair with the creator of the universe. I need to have somebody to help me figure out what love is really all about and why not do it in the middle of the summer. Stand with me, would you? You say, well, you said there were three. Yeah, okay, so I'll give you the third one on your feet, and that way I can't keep you too long. So it's a love that will sacrifice itself. It's a love that knows no limits. And thirdly, it's a love that demands to be expressed. And if I had time today, I could bear down on that just a little bit about 
in our physical romances and our, our, our earthly, I should say, with our spouses and how sometimes we say, well, it's just not my personality. I, well, honey, I told you I loved you when we got married 25 years ago, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. You know, well, that's exciting stuff right there, you know, I'm telling you. That makes you want to get the candles out and break the wine bottle open and all that. No. No, the interesting thing about true love like God's love is it demands to be demonstrated. God has a love that demands expression. It's a verb. It's not a noun. It's a verb. It demands action. Saints, we need that kind of love working in our lives. We need that kind of love working at the hills, and you do. This is one of the most loving churches on the planet. But there's always room to improve. Jesus Christ walks into every situation and circumstance, and instead of asking, what have you done? He asks, what does love demand I do? The truth is, in many of our lives, what we call love is lust. And it's confusing because sometimes, particularly in the early stages, it looks the same. But there is one core distinction that drives the distinction between love and lust. Lust demands satisfaction. Love demands to satisfy. God's love says, what does this circumstance demand? What does love require of me in this situation? Or at least that's how Mother Teresa put it when someone asked her how she endured 60 years suffering alongside the leprous in Calcutta in the most deplorable situations and circumstances on on the planet. 60 years. Did you know that Hindu Muslim country when this little saint died gave her a president's funeral? This little Christian missionary was so honored and revered among the Hindu and Muslim populations that they honored her with the highest possible memorial service at her death. And somebody asked her one time, how did you do it for 60 years? And her response through those weather-worn eyes that sparkled to the moment she died, she looked at them and she said, I only did what love demanded. I think it's better than a summer fling or being just the latest flavor in someone's history of romance. I think the summer fling I'm talking about is one that will go with you past the summer. That will change your life. That will change everything. It's the kind of summer love that I'm talking about this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here and you'd say, Brother Brassfield, I have never experienced that kind of love. You see, the Bible says, it doesn't say that it's God's judgment that leads us to repentance. It says that it's the goodness of God that leads men and women to repentance. I don't want you to get saved today because you're afraid of going to hell. Because at some point in time when things get easier, that fear will fade. What I want you to do 
if, if you've not experienced that love today, I want you to experience that love because I'm going to tell you it is the only thing, ladies and gentlemen, that will satisfy. It is the only thing that will satisfy. It's the only thing that will satisfy. Theology won't satisfy what you know about God. Uh, There's nothing religiously, religious duties and do's and don'ts won't satisfy. Only an intimate love affair with the lover of your soul can satisfy. And if you're here today and you'd say, I need to experience that, or maybe you would say, I experienced it, but I've let the, the, the distractions and the difficulties of life cool it down in my heart and I need a fresh summer experience with God I want you to raise your hand raise your hand don't be afraid nobody's looking but me let me pray this prayer with you today because you know he's as close as the mention of his name All you have to do, He's already turned to you. All you have to do is turn to Him. And when you turn to Him with all of your heart and you say, Lord, it's me again, God. It's me. I can't figure it out. Lord, I've been used, abused. I've been misunderstood. But I'm running to you like the prodigal. I'm returning to the Father. Well, you'll find that He's doing exactly what Jesus described that God the Father will do. He's looking for you. He's running to you. He's celebrating you. He's restoring you. He's healing you. He's making you brand new. He is excited about you. I want you to pray this prayer with me all over this room. I challenge every saint. Lord Jesus, today I'm opening my heart. All the filters are open. All the distractions are aside. And I'm saying, I want this to be a summer filled with love. I turn to you as my only hope. I believe in you. Even though I may not believe in myself, I believe in you. And therefore, I'm yours. Not just for this summer, but for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you receive the word of the Lord today? Amen. Let's give a big celebration.